Welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. You've joined us for week two of our series, Three Days. Today, we're looking at crucifixion. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, our prayer is that for the next 25, 30 minutes, something new of Jesus' heart will be revealed to you through this message. Here's Becky. Good morning. Easter is my most favourite part of the year. Um, I love the light that we now have. I love the sun and it's getting a little bit warmer. Um, I love the growth that we see in the plants and stuff around us. I also love that school finishes for two weeks and so we get two weeks off with our children. I also love the fact we have a good excuse to buy and eat copious amounts of chocolate. And in the middle of all of that, we stop and we celebrate something that happened 2,000 years ago. But do you know what? The word celebrate might seem a little bit wrong, and it might even seem a little bit brutal. Because what we're celebrating is the most barbaric and merciless death of a man. A death that was unfair and unjust. A death and an event that has a hope for every single one of us. An event that gives us a promise for our future. Of course, we're talking about the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus on a cross that took place 2,000 years ago. Now, for some, the cross might just be um, the Christian equivalent of the golden arches of McDonald's, a logo pinned onto the side of a building that will tell you where the nearest church is if you want to go, if you're that way inclined. For others, it's a cool design to have tattooed on your body, maybe alongside a yin-yang and your um, star sign. Or maybe it's a lucky charm that you wear around your neck to bring you good fortune or to ward off any potential vampires. Do you know what? Even the computer game Minecraft gets it. Dylan, uh, my son who's nine, turned to me this week. He said, Mum, guess what? I can even spawn Jesus on the cross now. If none of you know what spawn means in the terms of Minecraft, go find a child afterwards and I'm sure they'll enlighten you. But Jesus on the cross comes into everyday life. Now, Jesus' death is perhaps the most important part of the whole Bible the most pivotal part in the whole of history. And I've got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to do it justice. Now, historical evidence evidence proves to us that this man Jesus lived, that he died. But why? Why is the death of one man so significant that we celebrate it today? How should we be celebrating that today? How should we be viewing Jesus' death and the cross Because there's no other person who died in history that we celebrate it like this every single year. Now I want us to get to the end of this morning, not necessarily knowing historically why we should celebrate it, but why it's important for you today. Why, as a result of one man's death, do we get to live differently today? Amy really helpfully reminded us some of the facts of what happened when Jesus was crucified. So Jesus, let me just remind you, was accused of claiming he was the son of God. And so the Roman soldiers, they arrested him, put him to trial and decided to sentence him to death. Death on a cross. But crucifixion involved more than just being hung on a cross. The first step in crucifixion was normally to scourge someone, to scourge the condemned individual. Now the scourge was a short whip handled by a professional called the lictor. The lictor, he was a skillfully um, guy who exercised his trade with with precision. And he would repeatedly flay the victim with this kind of whip. Now the scourge would have had a number of thongs on it. And on the ends of that would have been bits of uh, metal or bone um, or stone 
which would increase the terrible effectiveness of this whip on the victim's body. Some of them might have even had a hook at the end, which was called the scorpion. And the purpose of scourging the victim was to bring them to a point of near death. This in itself was enough of a torture for a lot of crimes in the Roman Empire. And remember, the whole time that Jesus went through this, he had done no wrong. He was an innocent man. Now, after scourging had taken place, the victim would have been taken to the place that he was going to be killed. Now, for Jesus, this was a mountain that we know, a hill that we know called Golgotha. And if the victim was able, after his scourging, he was to carry a beam on his back. Now, the scouring that Jesus received was so bad that left him so weak that he couldn't carry it for himself. Matthew, one of his followers, tells us that a passerby called Simon was asked to carry the cross for Jesus. And when they got to the hill, when they got to Golgotha, the Roman soldiers probably threw Jesus to the ground as they started to nail his hands and feet into this beam of wood. And then they would have lifted up this cross on an upright stake. Now, during the crucifixion, the pain Jesus felt would have been excruciating. He was bleeding from his wounds, the wounds that he'd had inflicted on his back, the wounds in his hands and his feet as the nails went into them. Observers would have made fun of him. The soldiers threw dice to see who would get his clothes when he died. There's a doctor, a guy called uh, Dr. Truman Davies, and he writes about the medical aspect and the physical um, torment that Jesus would have gone through during crucifixion. And he wrote this. He wrote, as he, that being Jesus, pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is a serious agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralysed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in a small part of life-giving oxygen. See, Jesus' death was traumatic and awful. And it doesn't stop there. Because then, in a move that might have looked like mercy, the soldiers raise a sponge to his lips. A sponge that was soaked in sour wine or vinegar. Now, it's the custom of the Romans to offer a man being crucified... Um, some drugged wine on a sponge, maybe to try and make it more bearable. So the Romans lift up a sponge to Jesus and Jesus refuses it. He refused it, maybe because he wants to suffer with a clear mind. Later on, though, it's raised to his lips again and he accepts and drinks of it, maybe reflecting how bad his pain had got and how bad his thirst was. But historians offer as as an alternative view of this sponge on a stick. Back in the Roman times, they didn't have toilets like we had. They didn't have toilet paper like we had. They would use what was called a spongia, which was a sponge on a stick. 
Roman toilets were also a little different. You can see here on the screen, they would have a hole at the top where you would sit, and the hole on the side is where this sponge on a stick would be put to clean yourself. And as you can see, it's quite a communal affair. And so once the sponge would be used, it would be put to one side in a bucket of sour wine or vinegar to kind of disinfect it. Now, it is possible, there's no less definite evidence for this, that it is possible that this is the same kind of stick that would have been used for Jesus when he was on the cross. What looked like what could have been a moment of mercy, what might have been trying to offer Jesus a little bit of relief, was actually another form of torture inflicted by the Roman soldiers on him. You know what, though? As barbaric as crucifixion was, it was not rare Thousands of people, mostly men, were crucified by this method every year. But why was it such a big deal for Jesus? Why do we make such a big deal of this one man's death? Well, firstly, it's because we believe it happened because of us and for us. We believe, as Christians, it's the ultimate sacrifice. And in order to understand that and just unpack that a little bit further, we actually need to go right back to the start of the Bible, to where this story all began. So back in the beginning of the Bible, the Bible tells us the story of creation, how God created this earth, how God made Adam and Eve. And he made Adam and Eve in this Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. Well, for a short while anyway. It was perfect until Eve was tempted to do something that she shouldn't. Something that she, told, she was told she couldn't do. Something that she knew would potentially be bad for her. She ate fruit from a tree that she shouldn't have. And every day since, humans, you and I, have been doing the same thing. Making bad choices, doing bad things. Things that we shouldn't do, things that we've been told are not good for us. But, like with Adam and Eve, and like today... God, our creator, wants more for, us, more for us than that. He wants us to live a life that is better than that. He wants to still know us. He wants to still love us, even when we turn away from him and we turn away from the plans that he has for us. And so right from the beginning, he made a plan to rescue us. He made a plan to make us right with him. Now, in the Old Testament, this plan came in the way of sacrifice. And the Jews of the Old Testament would make regular sacrifices of animals as an act of worship and as an offering to God. Now, there are many dynamics to um, sacrifice in the Old Testament. But in simple terms, it was done in order to make themselves right with God. One translation of sacrifice in the Old Testament actually means to make present, to make present with God. So through the sacrifice of an animal, God was able to be present again with his people. But why did anything have to die in order to be right with God? Why an animal? And then why later on, why Jesus? Well, it's because something or someone had to take the blame, had to take the punishment for all the bad stuff, all that sin that had happened. Something had to be a substitute. So in the Old Testament, it was an animal. The Bible tells us that it was an annual day of atonement. Now, the day of atonement is a holy day of worship and fasting that the Jews celebrate. And on the day of atonement, a goat was taken. And a goat suffered the penalty of the people's sin. And it would be sacrificed. And so the um, high priest would take a goat and he would lay his hands on the head and he would confess all of the people's sin onto the goat, putting the sins onto this goat. 
In the book of Leviticus in the Bible, it says this, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. See, the sins are then taken away by the goat because they were put onto the goat in the place of the people. So that's how it worked in the Old Testament. But then we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, God's plan is still to make people right with himself, to have a relationship with his people that he loves. And it still came in the way of a sacrifice. But it had to be more than just a lamb or a bull. See, the idea of a substitute standing in our place wasn't new. What was new, though, was the sacrifice now had to be a human, not an animal. But why couldn't that old method carry on working? It seemed to work for many years. Why couldn't we have just carried on sacrificing animals? Why couldn't God, with all his power, just wave his hands and forgive our sins and everything be okay? Well, in the end, it had to be a person. In in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it says this, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, an animal and a person are not equivalent. It had to be like for like. To represent us and to take the place of people, the sacrifice had to be a person. Now, in the Olympic Games, if you were going to enter into the Olympic Games in some event for your country, you have to be from that country. And needed to say, you have to be a person. So if you took a cheetah from the local zoo, no doubt they'd probably beat Usain Bolt in the 100 metres. But they would be disqualified because they've not got the right DNA. And so to represent us, to suffer in our place, God had to become a man. A man of suffering, a real human person. Hebrews goes on to say, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. God became human in the form of Jesus. Born as a member of the human race, wearing our colours, running for our team, running for team human. And as a man, he suffered the punishment that our sins deserved. He was the substitute that stood in our place. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Well, he was there as a substitute for you and for I. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died as us. He took our place. It should have been us on that cross paying the price of what we've done wrong. But Jesus died as us in that place. Secondly, though, he didn't have to. Jesus was so obviously a man of power. He could have stopped it had he wanted to. You know, some of those we heard earlier, some of those who watched and stood around mocked him. Matthew, like I said, one of his followers who was there and witnessed it, tells us this that those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him then. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified alongside him also heaped insults on him. And it's a fair, probably, um, question to ask. Anyone who knew his life might have had the same questions. Here was a man who had spoken into storms and stopped waves. Here was a man who had healed people, made sick people well again. Here was a man who raised his friend from the dead. Surely he could have silenced his accusers. Surely he could have stopped his own death. 
Agonising though it was, Jesus, the Son of God, was fully on board with the plan of him having to die on the cross. It wasn't a case of cosmic child abuse, as someone has called it, with God the Father punishing some innocent uh, victim. Here on the cross, Father and Son were working together. Jesus knew what had to be done and was willing to do it. But it wasn't just about being a new type of sacrifice for all of mankind. It wasn't just a choice that he made when he could have stopped it. It was personal. Remember, he didn't just die for us collectively as a group. He died for us as us individually, for you and for me. And for a minute, I want you to just um, forget the fact that he died for everybody. And think about how he died for you, just you. I want to tell you the story of a, um, a woman, a young woman who was 32 years old, and she's from Newport in South Wales. And uh, she lived with her husband, uh, and she's got one child who's four. And uh, when she, she then was expecting her second child, and she was two months pregnant. And at two months pregnant, she discovered that she had cancer, a cancer that was going to take her life. And she could have tried chemotherapy and radiation to attempt to survive, but she refused treatment because her one concern was the unborn child growing inside of her. And so as the cancer spread, she lived in agony and she took no painkillers, only paracetamol, and she went through the rest of that pregnancy in really awful pain. But she did it because she hoped that she would live long enough to see her baby girl born safely, and it did. Her baby daughter did arrive safe and sound. And Cheryl, this mum, 32-year-old mum, died the very same day that her daughter was born. But she endured such pain to give her daughter life. When we hear that Jesus did that, when we hear that Jesus experienced excruciating pain for us, we should be jumping and punching the air with joy. It should be something that we celebrate because we are so loved and so thought of that God and Jesus would do that for us. God treated Jesus like he was the sinner who had walked away from him, but it was us who had walked away from him. But as a result, we get the prize. We get the forgiveness of all the things we've done wrong and we get to know a life lived with God. Just like Cheryl Anderson did, she died so that her baby could have life. And when Taylor Anderson, the child uh, that she um, birthed, when she grows up and people will tell her of how her mother died in order to give her life, I imagine that she will be very moved that her mother loved her that much. But maybe she will take that life a little bit for granted because she never knows, she never knew the opposite. She would never know the option of not being born at all. So if we accept that Jesus has died that Jesus died in our place as a substitute to take our punishment. What do we do with that now? Maybe you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and I'm so glad you're here and you are so welcome here. Here at The Forge, we often teach around subjects that are helpful to us, uh, that affect our everyday life. But today, as we lead up to Easter, what we're talking about today is the heart of Christianity. This, everything we believe comes to down to this point. And so if you're here today and you're not sure about this faith thing, maybe today's the opportunity for you to take a leap of faith 
and say, I'm going to trust this story. I don't know all the information. I don't know all the facts. But I'm going to trust what's being said. And I'm going to trust that I have a part in that story. That that story, that thing happened because of me. If you want to know how to do that and to take your next step, please come and speak to us. Speak to myself, Helen, uh, any of the prayer team. We'd love to talk through with you what your next step is in that. But if you're here today and you would call yourself a Christian, and maybe year on year we celebrate Easter, and at this time of year we think and reflect on what Jesus has done and we're thankful for it, we're grateful for it, maybe we move to tears each year. But we could fall into the trap of thinking that we don't need the cross. Or maybe we don't need the cross as much as we used to. Because maybe you think, I've walked over to God's side, my sins have been forgiven, and actually I can leave all of that behind me. So why do I need the cross today? Well, in the book, The Water Babies, which is a classic book by uh, author Charles Kingsley, he wrote this story about the central character, a boy called Tom, who is a chimney sweep. And one day, this boy, Tom, is a chimney sweep, is working in a massive mansion. And as he's working through all the flues and the chimneys, he gets himself a little bit lost in this big house. And he comes out into this bedroom, a bedroom with perfectly white walls, perfectly white fluffy carpet. And he looks up and there's a white bedspread with a little girl sleeping in it who just looks angelic. And he is amazed at this. He's never seen such cleanliness and such perfection. He's never seen such whiteness. And he starts looking around. And as he looks around, he spots something. He catches a glimpse of a filthy little creature covered in soot from head to toe. And he's shocked by it. This um, creature is dripping soot on the carpet. He's perspiring um, black sweat everywhere around him, making little pools on the white, fluffy carpet. And so he starts shouting at it, get out of here at once. But the dirty figure shakes his fist in return. And suddenly, for the first time in his life, poor Tom realises that he's looking in a mirror and seeing his own reflection. He's seeing himself as he really is. And it breaks his heart. And uttering a desolate and despairing cry, he rushes out of the house, sobbing as he goes, I must be clean, I must be clean, I must be clean. Because he realised how dirty he was. I don't know if you ever feel guilty for the things that have happened in your past, for the mistakes you've made, the wrong decisions you've made, for the things you've said that you shouldn't have done. Do you ever feel bad about who you are or who you've become? Do you beat yourself up because you trip over the same temptations time and time again? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then I want to suggest that you and I still need the cross today. We still need the power of what Jesus has done for us. See, when Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago, he wasn't just one of a 1,000 men to be crucified. He was an innocent man who gave his life in sacrificial love. And as a result of that, not only do we get to be free from our sin and have a relationship with God, we get to live free day in, day out. We can be free from all the guilt and the shame that all of our past sins have done. But sometimes we don't live like we're free. Imagine a man with me, uh, with me just for a moment. Imagine a man who has just got a brand new lawnmower. Uh, it's lovely, brand new, full of petrol, ready to go. And you go round and you visit him one day and you go out into the garden and there he is on his hands and knees. 
and he's cutting the grass with a pair of tiny nail scissors between his fingers. And you think, oh, that's a little bit odd. And as you watch him a little bit more, he's sitting there moaning and whinging about how hard it is, how impossible it is, how it's going to take him too long, how his back hurts, how like, he wishes he could have something more effective. And you see it right there. It's in the box, not even been opened. It's ready to be used. But the guy is suffering because he's not opened that box and taken it. If we follow Jesus, if we say we believe in Jesus, that Jesus has died for us, it's as if we are like that man with the lawnmower. We've got it right there, but we're not opening the box and we're not living in that freedom that Christ's death um, has done for us. Our past failures can still haunt us. Our guilt weighs us down, but it need not. So what's weighing you down today? What is the thing that you're still suffering with that you've not given to Jesus, that you've not laid at the cross? What is it that Jesus has done for you in dying on the cross that you've not yet accepted for yourself? Again, if there's a next step you feel like you need to take, come speak to us afterwards. We'll happily talk that through or point you towards someone who can. Jesus did something amazing for us 2,000 years ago in dying on the cross. And as we reflect on that this Easter, let's think about what that now means for us, the freedom that that now gives us. As we close this morning, we're going to share communion together. Now, communion, it's just the meal that Jesus shared with his followers of bread and of wine. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the wine representing Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And so communion as a meal is open to all of us. If you don't believe that today, though, please stay and watch. Be a part of that. Let it um, just watch what other people are doing. Reflect on what has been shared this morning about whether that means anything to you. But as those of us who say we follow Jesus, let's take the bread and take the wine and remember and thank God for what he's done for us. The wine and bread is going to be served at four tables around the room. If you need gluten-free or alcohol-free, please go to the back near the doors. I'm going to pray, and as the band play, uh, please please then just make your way uh, to your nearest table. Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what it means to us, whether we sometimes just see it as a, a bit of gold around our neck, or we see it so often in everyday life. But Lord, it is so significant to what we believe. Lord, we're sorry that you had to go through such excruciating and awful torture for us, for me. But Lord, thank you that you loved me that much to do that, that you thought that much of me, that you'd go through that torture. And as a result, we get to live free. We get to know you. We get an eternal life with you in heaven. But Lord, we get to live free here now on earth. Help us to remember that this Easter and help us to be thankful for what you've done. Amen. If you'd value prayer or need further support from what you've heard today, we'd be glad to hear from you. Please contact us through social media at Forge Church or visit our website forgechurch.com. We're here for you. We love you. And we are so glad that you are with us. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.